And I arrived in Enid uh, just uh, six months after this church opened and became a member of it. And uh, it, I didn't realize until I looked back that it was just six months after you opened. I came here to serve as vice president of Phillips University, and I didn't stay for very long. I think I stayed eight months because I, first of all, discovered that Phillips was theologically too liberal for me, and second, because the Lord spoke to me and called me to step out in faith and form Lamb and Lion Ministries. And that happened while I was here in Enid. In fact, I, I, uh, at the time the Lord spoke to me, I was just living right across the street at the Sandpiper Apartments, which were brand new. They had just opened. And I was praying there one morning, and the Lord spoke to me and made the message very clear. He told me to resign my job, step out in faith, proclaim that we're living in the season of the Lord's return. And so I went to the president of Phillips University, and I gave him two weeks' notice. And he said, well, when does that mean you're leaving? I said, I'm leaving on April the 1st, and I'm going to start the ministry on April the 1st. He said, what church? I said, not a church. I'm starting a ministry. He said, what are you going to preach? I said, I'm going to preach. We're living in the season of the Lord's return, and we need to prepare for that immediately. And he looked at his desk, and he looked up at me, and very derisively he said, I think you have selected a very appropriate date, April Fool's Day. And that's what he thought of the ministry that I was starting. Well, today, almost 39 years later, the Lord has blessed this ministry so richly. We now have a television program called Christ in Prophecy that has an outreach to 110 million homes in America via 10 national Christian networks and 16 regional stations. Uh, we also have access to every nation in the world uh, via the Daystar satellite system. And in fact, we're on cable in Israel. And additionally, we have an interactive website that reaches literally millions of people all over the world. We have a full-time staff member who's on that site every day uh, talking with uh, people, answering questions, debating Mormons and debating uh, Hindus and, and uh, Muslims. Our staff has grown to 15 people, and we are actively publishing books and videos. We produce all kinds of videos, many of them shot in Israel. Let me just make a comment about these. The book on the left came out last year, and I consider it the most important book I've ever written. It is a book about, see, a total of uh, 9, 10, 11, 13 prophets, 13 prophetic voices that God has raised up in the United States of America to call this nation to repentance and to warn the nation of destruction if it does not repent. Four of those are dead, nine are still alive, and uh, if you get the book you read what what their messages to America was all about. This book has, has, we just sold it like wildfire and it's at being reprinted now. I don't think we have any copies with us, but it's being reprinted and we were supposed to receive all the copies Friday before we left for here, but we, they didn't arrive before we left. The one on the right is a video that has four of our television programs that we shot in Jerusalem. I, what I do is I take you on a, a tour of the four mountains of Jerusalem. We start on the Mount of Olives, we go to the Temple Mount, we go to Mount Zion, we go to Mount Herzl. And what I do is show you the relevance of these mountains uh, to the first coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, uh, sites that occurred there. That's been one of the most popular videos that we have ever published. I want to thank this church for the many ways that it has encouraged us over the years. You've just been wonderful, and I appreciate it so much. I also wanted to point out that we have a magazine called The Lamplighter. We have 80,000 people on our subscription list right now, and most of those receive that magazine free of charge. Uh, by uh, internet, a digital copy. 
So if you want to get a copy free of charge, you can either sign up at our desk out there or you can sign up at our website. Go to our website and uh, uh, again, lambline.com, no and in the middle. We got a problem? My, oh, you're going to change my pack. Okay. Am I going in and out? All right. Well... Okay, testing one, two, three, four, we're back, okay. Uh, we have a person on that website every day, his name is Nathan Jones, and he will answer your questions, and you, we also have a high-speed search engine. You can go there and type in a word like rapture, and all kinds of articles will come up, videos will come up. You can also watch our television program there if you don't get it on regular TV. Uh, we have all of them archived there, and you can watch them on demand. Uh, we... Uh, also have uh, this publication available free of charge out on the uh, table. The, the, the Insight publications are when we publish an article in our magazine, it proves to be very, very popular and people want more and more copies. I usually will take that article, lengthen it, put more into it, and we'll publish it separately. So that's available out there free of charge. So are also a lot of our magazines are available out there free of charge. And then also this publication, I think this is 12 to 16 pages, and it is a witness publication designed for unbelievers and for perhaps cultural Christians who think they're believers. And it's a very hard-hitting witness publication, so get as many of those as you want and hand them out to friends and family. And then we have this publication, a prophetic manifesto. It's 40 pages long. We've printed 100,000 of these so far. And this is a new edition, the third edition, has all new statistics in it and so forth. And this is also free of charge. So take as many of these as you want. It concerns two problems facing Christians today, the deterioration of society and apostasy in the church and what we should be doing about those. Well, let's see here. Uh, we also have our catalog out there called Bible Prophecy Resources. That's free. And we have copies of this. This is our newest book just come off the press called The Basics of Bible Prophecy. It has 24 lessons, 24 lessons. And this is for both ends of the spectrum. For those who know little or nothing about prophecy and those who know a whole lot and want to teach it. Because you can take this and hit the ground and start teaching. And I was delighted to find out from your pastor that you're using that book right now to teach Bible prophecy here. What I'm going to present in this particular session is a sermon entitled 50 Reasons Why We Should Be Living in the End Times. And don't get scared. I'm going to cover all 50 reasons, but I'm not going to be here until 3 o'clock. We're going to cover this fast. So you need to put on your seatbelt and get ready. But uh, this particular video, we have this in video, this is about an hour long and it covers what I'm going to cover in a few minutes, it's going to cover in great detail. Okay, I think that brings us to the beginning. We're going to start on 50 reasons why we should be living in the end times today. And I have the wrong sermon, so let me go get my right sermon, okay? Excuse me just a moment. I have to have this so I coordinate this with the PowerPoints. So let me find it here right fast. Here we go. Well, with the wrong sermon and the wrong batteries, maybe Satan's trying to interrupt all this, but he's not going to succeed. We're going to win. So here we go. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, there's not a single person here today who needs to hear anything I have to say. But all of us need to hear what you have to say. So use me as an empty vessel for you to speak through. And I pray, Lord, that what I have to share will be encouraging, enlightening, 
will be motivating to get people deeper into the scriptures will be convincing that we are living in the season of the Lord's return and we need to get serious about you and your son I thank you for the way you've already blessed us in worship for the way you have blessed us in fellowship and now we pray for your blessing in the word in Jesus name amen okay the Bible teaches that we cannot know the date of the Lord's return there are a lot of people who think they do, but they're sincerely deceived. We cannot know the date of the Lord's return. But the scriptures make it equally clear that we can know the season of the Lord's return, that we can know the general time period of His return. And that's because we are given many, many signs to watch for. Every time I think of signs of the times, I'm reminded of this great man of God. His name was Elbert Peake. He was a great Bible teacher from Abilene, Texas. I had the privilege of participating in a prophecy conference with this man back in 1990 when he was 80 years old. He's gone home to be with the Lord since then. His topic at the conference was the signs of the times. And I will never forget how he began his presentation. He got up and he said, folks, my topic is the signs of the times. And I say to you, 60 years ago when I first started preaching, I had to scratch around like a chicken to find two or three signs of the times. But he said, today, there are so many signs that I am no longer looking for signs. Instead, I am listening for a sound. I am listening for the sound of a trumpet. And I wanted to shout, hallelujah, hallelujah, let's go. What's going on now? We're going to replace your whole mic. So it, takes it, two, it takes two of us to get you going here. Okay. Well, I've heard of people getting wired, but not two or three times, so <laughs> we'll try again. This thing's pulling on me here. There we go. Okay. So he said, I'm no longer looking for signs. I'm listening for a sound, the sound of a trumpet. And at that point, I yelled, Hallelujah. 100 years ago, in 1917, there was not one single sign, not one, pointing to the soon return of Jesus. The very first objective, tangible, identifiable sign that appeared on the world scene came on November the 2nd, 1917, with the issuance of a letter. The letter was called the Balfour Declaration. It was issued by the British government near the end of World War I. It was prompted by the fact that during World War I, the Turks sided with the Germans. Now, most Americans don't know history that well. We know that in World War I, we fought the Germans, but they don't know we fought the Turks. The Turks were allied with the Germans. So when the Germans lost the war, the Turks lost the war, and both of their empires were divided up by the Allies. The Turkish territories were called the Ottoman Empire. And in that empire, there was, see that little red spot there? That little red spot in the Turkish Empire was called Palestine. Palestine. The Romans had named it Palestine after the last Jews were evicted from the land because in Latin the word Palestine means Philistines. 
And so in order to insult the Jewish people, they named the land after their enemy. In 1917, this is what Palestine looked like. Palestine included all of modern-day Israel and all of modern-day Jordan. Britain was allotted Palestine, and that is what prompted the Balfour Declaration. In that document, Lord Balfour, who was the foreign, uh, foreign minister, said, His Majesty's government views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. And the leading evangelical of that day in England was this man, F.B. Meyer. Many of you probably read books of his. He wrote many on prayer. He immediately recognized the prophetic significance of the Balfour Declaration, for he was well aware that the Scriptures prophesy that in the end times the Jewish people will be brought back to their homeland before the return of the Messiah. Meyer sent out a letter to all of his evangelical leaders of England asking them together in London in mid-December to discuss the prophetic implications of the Balfour Declaration. In that letter he stated, the signs of the times point toward the closure of the times of the Gentiles and the return of Jesus can be expected any moment. There is no doubt that these were the beginning of the end of the end times. Before Meyer's meeting could be held in mid-December, another momentous event occurred. This is a photograph inside the old city of Jerusalem of General Allenby, the head of the Allied forces, marching into Jerusalem. He took it without firing a shot. December the 11th, 1917, Jerusalem was liberated from Muslim rule. The Turks had ruled it for 400 years. Since the time of the Balfour Declaration, we have witnessed very many signs, the most important being the return of the Jewish people from the four corners of the earth, which is always prophesied in the Bible will happen in the end times. In fact, we have witnessed so many signs since 1917 that a person would either have to be biblically illiterately or spiritually blind not to realize that we are living on borrowed time. We're living on borrowed time, folks, and I have personally been searching the Bible for years in an effort to identify all these signs. In the process, I have discovered so many signs that I have found it hard to get a handle on them. I finally decided that the best way to get on top of all of these signs was to put them into categories. And so in the process, I came up with six categories of signs of the end times. The first would be the signs of nature, the signs of nature. There are many, many biblical passages about these signs. Let me just give you one from Luke 21. This is Jesus speaking. And there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heavens. He's speaking about the end times when He would return. Now let me point out something to you very interesting about these signs. There is no category of signs that is less respected than the signs of nature, even by Christians. One of the reasons is that we have literally been brainwashed by Western scientific rationalism into rejecting the supernatural. And thus we find it hard to believe that God works through signs of nature, even though the Bible teaches that He always has worked through signs of nature and continues to work through signs of nature today. Also, we have a tendency to say, as this skeptic says, there have always been signs of nature. What else is new? I've heard it a hundred times. Come on, David. There's always been earthquakes, always been tornadoes, always been tsunamis. What else is new? Come on. Well, this attitude ignores something that Jesus said in Matthew 24, that the signs will be like birth pangs. Any woman who has had a baby knows what that means. When the pains start, the closer you get to the birth of that baby, the pains increase in two ways. They increase in frequency, 
and they increase in intensity. So Jesus was saying that we could expect the signs of nature to increase in frequency and intensity as the time approaches for His return, and that is exactly what has been happening. I wish I had time to give you all the statistical information, but take my word for it, that's what's been happening. That brings us to the second category, and that is the signs of society. This uh, is a category that is mentioned throughout the Scriptures in the New Testament. We find Paul talking about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3. When you read this, it's like watching the evening news. Look at it. Realize this, in the last days perilous times will come. We're in those times. For men will be, now notice the things it says men will love. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Three things it mentions there that people will love in the end times. First, they will love themselves. That is humanism. That is the religion of the end times. That has always been the religion of Satan. It's gone under many different names, but it's always been the religion of Satan. It is the belief in man rather than God. The belief that man can do anything, that our hope is in man, our hope is not in God. That is the religion of the United States of America today. You live in a post-Christian society in America. Christianity is no longer the dominant religion in America. Our nation is full of professing Christians who are carnal Christians who walk with one foot in the church, one foot in the world. Most of them have never been born again. Most of them have no relationship with Jesus Christ whatsoever. Our nation is really, its religion is humanism, the belief in man, that man can accomplish anything. Whenever you have humanism as your religion, you will always have money as your God. Humanism and materialism go hand in hand. Anytime you have humanism as your religion, materialism as your God, you will have pleasure, hedonism, hedonism as your lifestyle. Those three go together. But God cannot be mocked. And so, whenever you have those, the payoff is from God. And the payoff is nihilism. And nihilism is nothing in the world but a $64 philosophical word for despair. So that when you have humanism as your religion, materialism as your God, and hedonism as your lifestyle, you will have a society that is wallowing in despair as our society is today, as people look for the meaning of life in alcohol, in drugs, in sex, whatever, finding it nowhere because it can only be found in Jesus Christ. Well, you can see this in our society today as you see the headlines of the newspapers. Abortion, homosexuality, gambling, domestic violence, child molestation, same-sex marriage, school shootings, alcoholism, drug abuse, pornography, and blasphemy. They're all over America today. I wish you could realize how much that has developed in such a short period of time. I was born in 1938. I just turned 80 years old this year. And in my lifetime I've seen this society disintegrate before my very eyes. I can remember when everything was closed on Sunday. I can remember when no football games, no nothing was scheduled on Sunday because Sunday was a sacred day. I can remember when uh, on Wednesday night nothing was scheduled because Wednesday night was a night when all the churches met. Today very few churches ever meet on Sunday evening. Very few even have a Wednesday night service. It, our society has secularized and is secularized very, very rapidly. The third category of signs, spiritual signs. There are many, many spiritual signs, probably more in this category than any other category because there are both negative signs and there are positive signs, like the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the uh, end times. 
The negative are very, very negative. False Christ, cultic groups, heresy, apostasy, skepticism, deception, occultism, persecution, all of these are clearly prophesied as being characteristic of the end times. In fact, the negative sign that Jesus mentioned more than any other sign, over and over he mentioned it, was the sign of cults and false Christ. Churches always had cults. At the very beginning of the church there were the Gnostics and the Judaizers in the first century. But the cults did not begin to explode like birth pangs until the middle of the 19th century with the appearance of wolves in sheep's clothing in the form of the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, the two largest cults in the world today. I don't know if you know what a cult is, but a cult is a group that claims to be Christian, but they represent a false Jesus and they teach a false gospel. For example, both of these groups represent a false Jesus. The Mormons teach that Jesus is a creative God, one of 1,000 gods created by the super God, and that if you are a good Mormon and do what they tell you to do, you will become a God, that you are saved by your good works. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is the uh, uh, Michael the archangel. You can't be saved by putting your faith in Michael the archangel. They teach that that's who Jesus was, and they teach that you have to earn your salvation. I have a friend in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, named Jean Eason. She's 92 years old. She's a fourth generation Jehovah's Witness. Four years in a row, four years in a row, Jean was the number one seller in the nation of the Watchtower magazine. They brought her to New York. They gave her all kinds of awards. And then in front of everybody, they turned to her and said, Jean, you've done it four years in a row, but you're going to have to do better than that if you're going to make it to heaven. Both of these groups teach works salvation, whereas the true gospel is salvation by grace through faith. We also have had the false Christ like David Koresh and Jim Jones and others that are in our time. It just seems like there's a new one around every corner. But on the positive side, the wonderful positive side, is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you read the great passage there in Joel chapter 2 about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you will see it says there's going to be two great outpourings of the Spirit, the early rain and the latter rain. In, in Israel there are two rainy seasons. They call one the early rain the latter rain. So they're using this as a symbol in the Scriptures. And the early rain took place at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was founded and the uh, Spirit-filled people went throughout the world at that time preaching the gospel. But Joel says the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit is going to occur after Israel is put back in the land. Israel was uh, reestablished on May the 14th, 1948. And the next year, in 1949, a young preacher that nobody had ever heard of put up a tent, a circus tent in Los Angeles and began to preach for one week. But so many people came, it went two weeks, it went three weeks, it went four weeks. And finally, William Randolph Hearst couldn't stand it anymore. He was driving by it every day in his limousine. And he said, I got to see what's going on. They stopped. He went in, sat on the back row. He went to his mansion. At that point, he controlled all of the media in the United States. And he sent out a telegram. The telegram only had two words, Puff Graham. And the next morning, hundreds of reporters descended on that tent. And the ministry of Billy Graham took off like a rocket. And you know the rest of the story. Just as Joel said, great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the end times. Another positive sign, yeah, this is the, my illustration of the outpouring of the Spirit, the reigns of the Spirit. Here is the, the rediscovery of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that when the 20th century began that both Catholics and Protestants were cessationists? I don't know if you know what that means, but cessationist is a word that means if you are a sensationist you believe that all the gifts of the Spirit ended in the first century when the last apostle died. And that's what all of Christendom believed. But then suddenly at the beginning of the 20th century 
people began to experience gifts of the Spirit. The Pentecostal movement was born. The charismatic movement was born. And by the end of the 20th century, even the most conservative Baptist churches were recognizing the fact that the Holy Spirit is alive and well. The Holy Spirit still gifts people with His supernatural gifts. And the discovery of the Holy Spirit took place in the 20th century. And then another one was the preaching of the Gospel worldwide. Did you know that at 19, in 1800 there were 100 people a day being brought to Christ? 100 a day all over the world, 100 a day. By 1900 that was 1,000 a day. Did you know it's 175,000 per day right now, 20,000 a day in, in uh, China alone? Uh, it will soon be over 200,000 a day coming to the Lord, and it's through techno technology, uh, through the fact that uh, the Bible is being used, computers are being used to translate the Bible into many languages, satellite technology is being used. Billy Graham gave a, a sermon from Puerto Rico uh, back in the 80s. That sermon was carried by satellite to 150 nations in the world. Uh, more than 500 million pieces of literature were uh, handed out. In that one sermon, more people heard the gospel than had heard the gospel in the entire history of Christianity. I was in Poland at the time and watched it standing on the street. They had a big screen and people were standing there watching it as they were translating it into the Polish language. And then Jews for Jesus. Another manifestation of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is that in 1967 following the Six Day War there was a great pouring out of the Holy Spirit here in the United States. The Jesus Movement began. You may remember that. And the Jesus Movement took off like wildfire until 19, about 1970, 72. Young people all across this nation were coming to the Lord fast. And, and a great number, thousands of young Jews began to accept Jesus as their Messiah and the whole Messianic Jewish movement was born. Another evidence of the movement of the Holy Spirit. And another evidence of it was the understanding of Bible prophecy. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not, but in the book of Daniel it ends with Daniel saying to the Lord, Lord I don't understand these prophecies you've given me about the end times. Explain them. And God said it's not for you to know what they mean. It's for you to write them. They will not be understood until the time comes for them to be understood. And so Hal Lindsey wrote the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and we began to understand prophecies we had never understood before simply because of historical developments and because of uh, technological developments. And that brings us to the next category, the signs of world politics. I could talk about this all day because before I went into the ministry I taught world politics for 20 years. But I'll make it very quick. The Bible tells us there's going to be a certain a configuration of politics in the end times. It says that Israel will be back in the land, the nation will exist. It says they will be surrounded by threatening Arab countries. It says that the uh, Roman Empire will be reestablished, and we've seen the beginnings of that in Europe. It says that the, Russia will be a tremendous threat to Israel and will ultimately invade Israel. It says that there will be a great threat of Eastern nations who ultimately during the tribulation period will send 200 million people across Asia against Israel. And we're seeing all that coming together today. That brings us to the signs of technology. The fifth category, these are the signs that are implied in Bible prophecy because there are prophecies that simply cannot be understood apart from modern technology. And so the invention of television, the invention of things like uh, uh, the atomic bomb, robotics, uh, uh, computer technology, all of these things are making it possible for things in the Bible, like the internet, to, to happen that we never thought could happen before. Let me just give you one example. I could give you many. Let me give you one. 
In the book of Revelation it says that during the first three and a half years of the tribulation there's going to be two great witnesses of God who will be in Jerusalem and they will be preaching every day calling the earth to repentance. And it says the whole earth will hate them with a passion but they will be supernaturally protected by God. Then it says that three and a half years of the tribulation when the Antichrist comes to Jerusalem to declare himself God he will kill those two prophets. God will remove their protection. He will kill them. It says their bodies will lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And it says the whole world will look upon those two bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. And then suddenly they will be resurrected and taken up to heaven and the whole world will be amazed. How can the whole world look upon two bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem? Nobody understood that until the mid-1960s. The first Sputnik was in 1959, but it wasn't until the middle 60s that we had satellites up there, uh, television satellites, radio satellites, and so forth, where today you could just point a camera at somebody in some part of the world, zap it up to a satellite, and everybody in the world can watch. There's so many prophecies like that that were never understood before because they depended on modern technology. Let me give you one that depends upon history. Did you know that in Ezekiel 38 it says in the end times Russia is going to invade Israel? Did you know that in 19 1919, when Schofield wrote his study Bible, he got to chapter 38. He said, Folks, I don't understand this. I can't explain it, but I believe it. And therefore, I'm going to say it. In the end times, Russia's going to invade Israel. Now, why was that so hard to understand in 1909? Israel didn't exist. There was no possibility Israel would ever exist. And Russia was a Christian Orthodox nation. How is a Christian Orthodox nation going to invade a country that doesn't exist? But he said, I believe it. Today, we don't even stop to think about it because Russia is Israel's major enemy and Israel's back in existence. Russia is no longer a Christian Orthodox nation and Russia is going to invade Israel. So that's how we are understanding prophecies we never understood before. And then let me give you just a brief summary. We've so far talked about the signs of nature, the signs of society, the spiritual signs, the world political signs, the signs of technology, and now we come to the most important category of all. Number six, more important than all the rest put together, and that is the signs of Israel. And why are they so important? Because Israel is God's prophetic time clock. Over and over in the Scriptures, the prophets will say, in the future this is going to happen to Israel, and when that happens, this will happen. When this happens to Israel, that will happen. When this happens to Israel, that will happen. Jesus Himself said that. He said, watch Jerusalem. Jerusalem will fall. Jerusalem, the, the Jews will be scattered. And he said, Jerusalem will remain under the control of Gentiles until it is time for me to return. When it's time for me to return, the Jews will have Jerusalem again. That's why the reoccupation of Jerusalem on June the 7th, 1967 is such a great prophetic event. Jesus said, watch it. When it's no longer under the control of the Gentiles, I'm coming back. So again, Israel is used as a prophetic time clock. Also, the Bible focuses upon Israel in the end times. Let me just give you four of many prophecies I could give you. I have a book called Israel in Bible Prophecy that gives all the prophecies concerning Israel in the end times. But let me just mention four. Four key prophecies being fulfilled in Israel today. First, the regathering in unbelief. This is the most prolific prophecy in the Old Testament, stated more than any other prophecy. The end times, the Jews will be regathered back to their homeland in unbelief. It began in the 20th century. There were 40,000 Jews in all of Israel in 1900. By the end of World War II there were 600,000. Today there are 6.7 million more than were killed in the Holocaust. Second, natural outgrowth. 
you come back, you reestablish your state. The reestablishment of the state, again, many, many prophecies, and it was fulfilled on May the 14th, 1948, when David Ben-Gurion stood up in this tiny room in Tel Aviv and declared the existence of the state of Israel. And then the reoccupation of the city of Jerusalem. Again, many prophecies about this, and it was fulfilled on June the 7th, 1967, when the, during the Six-Day War, when the Jews reoccupied the city, rushed to the Wailing Wall, and as they were standing there weeping before the Wailing Wall, Rabbi Shlomo Goran, the chief rabbi of the Israeli army, who later became the chief rabbi of Israel, walked up to the wall. He had a Torah scroll under one arm. He blew a shofar and he said, I proclaim to you the beginning of the Messianic age. Why did he say that? Because he knows the prophecies. And he knows the prophecies say that when the Jews are back in the land and back in the city, the Messiah is going to come. It's the church that's asleep today about the second coming of Jesus. You go to Israel and the Jews uh, the believing Jews are, are wide awake and, and, and expecting the Messiah to break from the heavens any moment. They're going to be surprised by his identity, but they expect him any moment. And then the next one I would mention is the refocusing of the world upon the city of Jerusalem. This is clearly prophesied in the scriptures that the whole world will focus upon Jerusalem in the end times. Here's one of those prophecies, Zechariah 12. Behold, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. It'll come about in that day, speaking of the end times, that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples and all who lift it will be severely injured and all the nations of the earth will be gathered together against it. In fact, our president's recognition of Jerusalem has caused the nations of the world to focus upon Jerusalem even more than they have before. The whole world is coming together against Israel over who is going to control the nation of Israel. And so you have it. You have six different categories of signs, each category containing many prophecies concerning the end times, including many that I have not mentioned. Remember, there are over 500 prophecies in the Old Testament about the second coming of Jesus. And one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament has to do with the Lord's return. God wants us to know the season of the Lord's return because He wants us to be ready and He wants us to be earnest about evangelism as we see the end coming. Let me conclude by specifically listing for you 50 of those prophecies that show that we are living in the season of the Lord's return. First, the increasing instability of nature. Second, increasing lawlessness and violence. Third, increasing immorality. Number four, increasing materialism. Number five, increasing hedonism. Number six, increasing influence of humanism. Number seven, depraved entertainment. Number eight, calling evil good and good evil. Number nine, increasing use of drugs. Number 10, increasing blasphemy. Isn't that interesting? This is Time Magazine, a pagan secular magazine on the cover decrying the fact that America has a dirty mouth. Number 11, the pagan, increasing paganism across our land. Number 12, increasing despair. Number 13, signs in the heavens. 14, increasing knowledge. Did you know knowledge now is doubling every year? Doubling every year. Did you know that in the 19th century, in the 19th century, the amount of knowledge that the average person had would be the amount of information in one issue of the New York Times Sunday edition. Number 15, increasing travel. Number 16, the explosion of cults. Number 17, the proliferation of false Christ. 18, increasing apostasy in the church. 19, increasing attacks on Jesus. 20, increasing attacks on the Bible. 
21, increasing persecution of Christians. 22, increasing occultism. 23, wars and rumors of wars. 24, weapons of mass destruction. 25, increasing famine. 26, increasing pestilence. 27, computer technology. 28, television. 29, satellite technology. 30, virtual reality. 31, the unification of Europe. 32, four Eastern military powers. 33, movement toward world government. 34, regathering of the Jews. 35, reestablishment of Israel. 36, reclamation of the land of Israel. Did you know all the land of Israel looked like this when the Jews started going back in 1900? It had been denuded. All the trees had been cut down south of the Sea of Galilee. Today it looks like this. Number 37, revival of Biblical Hebrew. Hebrew as a spoken language had died. Nobody spoke it, and yet it was revived. And the Bible says it would be revived in the end times. Number 38, the reoccupation of Jerusalem. 39, the resurgence of the Israeli military. Israel is only 270 miles long and 70 miles wide, and it's considered to be among the top 10 military powers in the world, and that's prophesied in the Scriptures. And then number 40, refocusing of world politics on Israel. 41, Russian threat to Israel. 42, the Arab threat to Israel. 43, denial of the second coming. You see it everywhere today. Number 44, denial of creation by God. 45, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 46, translation of the Bible into many languages. 47, preaching the gospel worldwide. 48, the revival of Messianic Judaism. 49, the revival of Davidic worship. And number 50, the understanding of Bible prophecy. 50 signs that we are living in the season of the Lord's return. And again, I could give you even more than these. And yet, I have not given you the most important sign of all. The most important sign of all, I have not even mentioned yet. The most important sign of all is one that can be summed up in one word. And here's the word. Convergence. Convergence. And what do we mean by convergence? For the first time in all of recorded history, all of these signs are converging. They have all come together in times in history when there was this one and that one and this one or a few of these, a few of those, but they've all come together in a convergence. The world may appear to be falling to pieces, but in reality all the pieces are falling into place. The bottom line message is we are living on borrowed time, folks. And the fundamental question for everyone here this morning is, are you ready for the return of Jesus? Many people fear the future because they have no assurance of their ultimate destiny. And I want to tell you, that fear is justified. It's justified because there's only bad news ahead for those who have rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But for those who have put their faith in Him, there is only good news. For the message of the book of Revelation, the fundamental message of the book is one thing. We win in the end. God's prophetic word is clear, folks. We win in the end. God's prophetic word is clear, it is certain, it is true, and we need to believe on it, and we need to act on it. What the Holy Spirit is calling unbelievers to do is to flee from the wrath that is to come by fleeing now in the loving arms of Jesus. What the Holy Spirit is calling believers to do, commit your life to holiness and to evangelism, because our time is short. And as I see these signs of the times and realize we're living on board time, all I can say in conclusion is that every morning I get up and from the depths of my heart I cry out, Maranatha, 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 which is an Aramaic expression that means, Oh Lord, 
come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your prophetic word. We thank you for the promises in your word that gives us hope. We look forward to the day your son will break from the heavens. Until that day when we get serious about being your disciples, may we get serious about your word, may we get serious about holy living, and may we get serious about sharing your word with others. In Jesus' name, amen.